The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Too often we rely solely or primarily on conventional medicine to treat symptoms and disease, but these can mask the problems, so we never get to the root cause of the disease. There are better choices. Welcome to Generation Regeneration with your host, Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does play an important role in effective treatment, but even more important are the daily lifestyle, food, and spiritual choices we make. Now, here is Sandra Guy Malhotra. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 2015. I hope it is a happy and prosperous one for you. I'm Sandra Malhotra, your host for Generation Regeneration. Thank you for joining me, whether it be live or on demand. Our goal is to provide information and support for those who want to regenerate their bodies, minds, spirits, and relationships to others and to the planet. In previous episodes, we talked with nutritionist Ann Baker, naturopath Dr. Jason Barker, and MD Dr. Christopher Nagy about foods to consume and to avoid in order to properly nourish our bodies and brains. All of these guests warned about genetically modified organisms, or GMOs. So today we are going to focus on this topic exclusively because it is so important. Even though ballot initiatives are sprouting up across the country regarding GMO labeling, many people still don't understand what they are and are frightened by television commercials paid for by those that have a vested interest in the status quo of unlabeled GMOs. Let me begin by saying that I am a classically trained scientist and am a big fan of human ingenuity. So my mind is open to the possibility that genetic modification of food could, in theory, provide a benefit to humanity with little or no risk to the planet and to those that consume the GMO foods, whether they be livestock animals or us humans. I would love to think that there is a viable scientific solution to a pressing problem, which is world hunger. But I have to say, the more I dug into this, the more concerned I became that there are more questions than answers about the long-term safety of GMOs and that they were rushed into the food supply in a non-transparent manner to satisfy a corporate profit motive. My concern is that we know enough about the risks of GMOs to warrant proceeding with caution because our genetic heritage is at stake here. Despite what GMO advocates say, the science is not settled. Over 60 countries have banned GMOs, so clearly there are valid questions about their safety. However, we are not proceeding with caution at all in the United States, as GMOs were introduced into the food supply here in the 1990s without labels and with only short-term testing done by the corporations that would profit from their sale. The way they were introduced means traceability and liability are impossible. One has to wonder if this was by design. What I am saying is, where there's smoke, there's fire. And so no one should be belittled for asking valid questions about something so important. So let's take a step back and start by discussing the reason a company like Monsanto, for example, would want to develop genetically modified seeds. The corporate 
propaganda machine will state that they are doing it to feed millions of hungry children out of the kindness of their hearts. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that this may be partly true. What is definitely true, beyond the shadow of a doubt, is that they would not get involved in this endeavor unless there was a profit to be made. Now let's point out that there is not a large profit to be made in the sale of organic steeds straight from Mother Nature, because there's nothing unique about them. They have existed for thousands of years, are readily available from many sources, and therefore can't command a premium price. However, a product which is patented can command a premium price and only be sold by the party that patented it, unless they grant another party something called a license. If you're not familiar with what a patent is, let me take a moment to explain. This is going to get technical, but bear with me, as understanding patent law is critical to understanding the rise of GMOs. A patent is a type of intellectual property, or IP for short, which refers to creations of the mind, such as inventions, literary and artistic works, designs, symbols, names, and images used in commerce. Corporations invest a great deal in research and development activities to produce IP, and in return, it is protected by law in the form of patents, copyrights, and trademarks. You've probably seen these. These protections allow the inventors to earn recognition or financial benefit for the time and resources they spent to invent or create. We are going to concern ourselves here only with patents, which are granted by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office for something called an invention, which is a product or a process that provides, in general, a new way of doing something or offers a new technical solution to a problem. The requirements of uniqueness and non-obviousness are key here. If something already exists, is a natural product, has been published in the scientific literature or popular literature such that it is general knowledge or it is just plain obvious, then it will not be awarded a patent. If a patent is granted, like for a genetically modified seed, then the owner has exclusive rights to practice their invention. And if another party uses their invention without permission, such as a legal agreement or a licensing fee, then they are running afoul of the law by infringing on the patent and can be sued for damages. You hear about this happening occasionally between big companies like Samsung and Apple, for example, for patents around their electronic products. When patents generally do provide their owners is a competitive advantage in the marketplace because they are the only ones who can produce and sell this invention for a period of time, which is generally 20 years in the United States. The patented invention likely provides a key advantage over previous ways of doing things, so the owner can charge a premium price for products that contain aspects of their novel invention. Note that the owners of an invention can be individuals or corporations. So after this introduction now, let's circle back to the patenting of genetically modified seeds. Inserting genetic material from one species, say something called Bt toxin, into the DNA of corn is certainly not obvious, and hence Monsanto was granted a patent for this product and others like it. And so the GMO saga began. The reason I call this a saga is because Monsanto has not been satisfied with gaining a portion of the market share for their genetically modified products. They want total domination, and as we will discuss, will resort to perverting patent law, intimidating and suing farmers, and just plain old thuggery to get it. So the question I have is that if the GM product was so great, 
wouldn't it do well on its merits in the marketplace? I mean, Apple doesn't have to intimidate manufacturers into making iPhones, nor do they have to trick customers into buying them. They don't hide their logo. Having Apple as a customer is a badge of honor, and people will wait in line for hours to get the newest iPhone. But this isn't how it is with GM Foods. The film David vs. Monsanto, available online at Yekra, for example, summarizes the situation very well by telling the story of Canadian farmer Percy Schmeiser, who stood up to Monsanto, fought them in court for eight years, and ultimately prevailed. And Percy's story goes like this. In 1997, he discovered Monsanto's GM rapeseed, which is used to make canola oil growing around and in his fields, which he did not plant. Because neighboring farmers were growing GM rapeseed, the pollen drifted and began growing elsewhere, contaminating his non-GM grapeseed, which he had developed over 50 years. So what did Monsanto do? The same thing they do to any farmer who unwittingly grows their patented product. They sued him for $100,000 in damages because he was infringing on their patent. In other words, he was using their patented product without their permission or a license whether he did this intentionally or not. They also started a pattern of intimidation to get him to knuckle under. Ex-Royal Canadian Mounties, which is their police force, hired by Monsanto, spied on and pursued him like a criminal. They watched his every move on his farm and even drove their vehicles onto his private property to do so. They made intimidating telephone calls, and they threw around their corporate might and pressured his local bank to shut down his trust account. In short, Monsanto tried to bring this farmer down financially and emotionally. They just wanted to ruin him. To me, that's just wrong and raises some serious questions about Monsanto's ethics. Should we really trust what they tell us? After all, Monsanto was the company that told us that DDT and PCBs are safe. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, as they say. Hmm. Ultimately, Percy had his day in court and the judge's ruling from the first trial between he and Monsanto was as follows. Because of patent law, if a farmer's fields are contaminated by a GMO, the farmer no longer owns their seeds or plants. They become the property of Monsanto. The percentage of contamination does not matter. Because of patent law, and I'm going to keep emphasizing this because this is the root of the issue, it does not matter how the contamination happened. The fact that a patented product is being used without permission is all that matters. Because of patent law, the seeds and plants are now owned by Monsanto on the farmer's land. And the farmer must now purchase new GMO seed every year and not use harvested seeds from the previous year, which farmers have pretty much been doing for millennia. Furthermore, the judge also ruled that Percy owed all profit from his 1998 rapeseed crop to Monsanto. Percy took his case to the Canadian Supreme Court and was eventually vindicated financially, but not until after years of legal struggle. You can tune into the film for more details on this case. For now, let's move on to another thing that Percy mentioned in the film, which is quite concerning. Namely, the technical contract the farmers must sign to purchase and grow Monsanto GMO seeds. The contract contains the following provisions. The farmer must buy new patented GM seed every year and not use seeds from the previous harvest. The farmer must pay a technical surcharge for using the seeds, which at the time of the film was made was on the order of $40 per hectare per year. 
the farmer must only buy Monsanto chemicals like Roundup to treat the GM fields. If the farmer stops purchasing Monsanto seed, they must allow the Monsanto police force full access to their farm, tax, and farming records for three years thereafter so Monsanto can ensue that their patented GM product is not being used. Any violations of the contract will result in a loss of the crop and profit. And the farmer cannot sue Monsanto no matter what, even if the GM crops are a failure and do not deliver as promised. So what Monsanto is trying to do is intimidate farmers and turn them into serfs on their own land if they don't bankrupt them with litigation first. That's pretty fishy to me, too. Remember the term serf? It comes from the Middle Ages, when the landed gentry and royal families allowed poor serfs to farm on royal lands and provided them few freedoms and just enough to survive and keep working. Quick aside, I know the prevailing opinion is that civilization has come a very long way since the Middle Ages, but has it? Seems to me that the royal elites are merely being replaced by multinational corporate elites. Still sounds like a feudal system to me. But I digress. Corporate elitism is a topic for a whole other show. And that brings us to our first break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra, and we're talking about genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, today. Thank you for joining us, and stay tuned to learn more about this important topic. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. A new health and wellness community is coming in January 2015 called WholeTreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. For 27 years, KidStar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. KidStar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world. KidStar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter, you pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Rinsley from Indy on Voice America Kids. I want to thank you for being a backer of our Kickstarter, Voyager. Kickstarter, we empower kids. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back to Generation Regeneration. I am your host, Sandra Malhotra, and today we're talking about genetically modified organisms, or GMOs. And right before the break, we were talking about patent law. So let's take a moment to review because it was pretty technical. We defined what a patent is. It is a type of intellectual property and is specifically a novel, non-obvious invention that has been granted patent status by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The owner of the patent is the only one who can legally use and sell aspects of the invention for a period of time, typically 20 years in the United States. If another party illegally uses or sells aspects of the invention, they are said to be infringing on the patent and can be sued for damages. Because the invention is novel and supply is limited, the owner can charge a premium price for products which use it. Now, this is all well and good, and there is a place for intellectual property protections in commerce. But Monsanto is perverting patent law. From what I can gather, their agenda is to use it to dominate and control our seed supply and farmers, the basis of our food, by being the exclusive provider of genetically modified seeds, which they can charge a premium for, and in the process, decrease natural seed diversity so that they have a captive audience. So here's a question. Do you want your food supply controlled by executives with Monsanto stock options who reside in a high rise far away and care only about their corporation's bottom line and adding to their personal wealth? Or your local organic farmer who is taking care of his or her land for future generations, taking care of their family and community? I prefer the latter, thanks. I think it's kind of a no brainer. But wait, there's more. Another way for the likes of Monsanto to maximize their profits of genetically modified foods is to dominate consumers as well by ensuring that they are not labeled as such so that we essentially have no choice in the matter. Unless you have eaten only whole organic foods and have not let a single processed item cross your threshold for the past 20 years, you have eaten GM corn and soy since over 80% of all corn and soy grown in the United States is genetically modified. You got to know if you were eating an artificial color or flavor, so wouldn't you have liked to have known if you were eating something genetically modified too? I sure would have. Now, the reason this came to pass is because the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, decided that there was something called substantial equivalence between natural and genetically modified foods. In other words, the criteria they looked at was the amount and type of nutrients in genetically modified and natural foods and they deemed that they were equivalent, and hence there is nothing to be concerned about. Nothing to see over here, but the fact is that there have been no long-term 
safety studies of GMOs, only short-term ones by industry, and that is supposed to be good enough. Well, this isn't good enough, especially in light of new research, which indicates that GMOs are not substantially equivalent to their natural counterparts. The movie David vs. Monsanto also makes mention of research being done in Japan on GMOs and their conclusion that the foods are different, mainly because if you insert genes for toxins, bacteria, and from other species into things like corn and soy, the proteins in the food become very different. In fact, they are unlike anything our bodies and digestive systems have ever seen in the history of our time on this earth. Robin O'Brien the author of the book The Unhealthy Truth also also delves into this subject, where she speculates that the rise in food allergies amongst children is because their little bodies are being bombarded with franken-proteins from GMOs, which their immature digestive systems don't know how to handle and react very negatively to by basically considering them a foreign invader. There are now livestock studies coming out which link GMOs and their feed to organ and development problems in the animals gastrointestinal flora problems, and toxins in their blood. Farmers are now starting to report that when they discontinue use of GM feed for their animals, the health of their animals improves. In several of his books, Michael Pollan makes the point that our digestive systems and our food have evolved together over eons so that our gut flora can digest and assimilate whole natural foods very well. From this viewpoint, Changing the basic building blocks of our food by injecting DNA from other species and expecting all is well is kind of naive. And injecting GMOs into our food supply without proving they are safe with long-term objective studies? Let's call that hubris and breed. So why is the FDA not looking out for us? Isn't that their job to ensure the safety of our food supply? Well, let's say they are not doing their job very well at all probably because there is a revolving door between the FDA and Monsanto executives, so that corporate interests are paramount, not public health. The opinion of government agencies which were created to protect us is that we don't need to know if the ingredients in our food have been genetically modified because of the substantial equivalence argument. And even though that argument is crumbling, they are sticking to it. If I wanted to be snarky, I would say that they want us to just be good sheeples and shovel all of the genetically modified artificial slop that fills grocery store shelves into our faces and be happy about it. Unfortunately, for corporate interests, many of us are plenty concerned about the lack of long-term safety testing on our bodies and food supply. The United States does not have a federal GMO labeling law, thanks to the aforementioned corporate influence, and thus states have been taking matters into their own hands. So let's change directions here and take a look at the labeling efforts that have been occurring in the states and how much money has been spent by the opposition to prevent the labeling. The states which have voted on GMO labeling initiatives include California in 2012. Monsanto and company spent $46 million there to kill Proposition 37, the California ballot initiative that would have mandated GMO labeling. Connecticut, fortunately, passed in 2013 but will only go into effect when passed for 20 million other residents in a combination of neighboring northeastern states. Washington, it failed there in 2013, and opponents spent over 17 million. Supporters, about 7 million. Maine, hey, it passed there in 2014, but won't go into effect until five neighboring states also pass a labeling law. Vermont, passed in 2014, 
and is not contingent on passage in other states. Boy, are they brave. However, Vermont is being sued by the Grocery Manufacturers Association, Snack Food Association, International Dairy Foods Association, and National Association of Manufacturers. They argue that the labeling law exceeds Vermont's authority under the U.S. Constitution and that it would be difficult, if not impossible, for the group's members to comply with the requirements by the mid-2016 deadline. Oregon. It failed there in 2014. Opponents spent over $20 million, supporters about $8 million. And in Colorado, where I live, it failed in 2014. Opponents spent over $18 million, and supporters less than $1 million. The Grocery Manufacturers Association, or GMA, and major food makers such as Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, in addition to top biotech seed makers like Monsanto and DuPont, were the heavy spenders on the opposition, according to a report issued by the Environmental Working Group. And according to the numbers above, they spent over $100 million to defeat labeling laws in California, Washington, Oregon, and Colorado. Supporters were dramatically outspent as they raised less than $20 million. In fact, in Colorado, the supporters of Proposition 105, as it was known here, could not even afford to run television commercials, whereas the opposition could. The commercials the opposition ran played on fear by indicating that the law would put undue hardship on hardworking farmers and would increase food prices dramatically. Increasing food prices is an important concern, so let's take a look at that. Would it really happen, and if so, by how much? Opponents of labeling in California pointed to a 2012 study prepared by the Northbridge Environmental Management Consultants, which concluded that the new rules would cost consumers $350 to $400 annually per household. The Northbridge paper, though, was funded by the industry-dominated campaign to stop Proposition 37, as the California initiative was known. Campaign records show that Northbridge received a total of $97,371 in five payments during 2012. Supporters of the Washington Initiative, in turn, point to a rival 2012 study, this one prepared by Joanna M. Shepard of Emory University School of Law, which found that food prices are likely to remain unchanged for consumers. Now, that study was commissioned by the Alliance for Natural Health, a group that advocates for the right of natural health practitioners to practice and the right of consumers to choose the health care options they prefer. So which is right? An article in Mother Jones in 2013 by Tim Philpott attempted to clear up the situation. Tim pointed to a study published in Grist by Michael Lipsky, a distinguished senior fellow at the progressive think tank Demos, and he argued that labeling wouldn't likely cost customers much at all. The cost of changing labels would be trivial, he writes, as food manufacturers do it all the time. Ever seen the words new and improved on some box delicacy? So it's quite possible to do. And this brings us to our next short break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra, and we're talking about genetically modified organisms today, or GMOs. We'll continue talking about the price of food if labeling laws were passed. On the flip side, stay tuned for more good stuff. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. 
These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. A new health and wellness community is coming in January 2015 called holdtreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together, we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back to Generation Regeneration. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and today we're talking about genetically modified organisms or GMOs. And right before the break, we were talking about conflicting conclusions regarding the impact of GMO labeling on food prices, which is an important concern. Recall the Northbridge study that concluded that the annual grocery bill would increase around $400 a year for the average household. Michael Lipsky, in his Grist article, pointed out that the Northbridge study is based on the assumption that, in order to avoid having to declare that their products contain GMOs, food manufacturers will rapidly switch over to non-GMO ingredients, which would cost more to procure. That's because upwards of 80% of U.S. corn, soybeans, and sugar beets are genetically modified, and iterations of these three crops are abundant in U.S. processed foods, providing sweeteners like high-fructose corn syrup and beet sugar, fats like corn and soy oil, and a litany of other ingredients like thickeners. For food manufacturers to get non-GMO versions of these substances, they'd have to pay a premium in the marketplace, hence higher ingredient costs that they want to pass on to consumers. But that effect wouldn't last long. Lipinski argues that if labeling were required, particularly if and when the labeling requirement is adopted by numerous states, demand for non-GMO versions of corn, soybeans, and sugar beets, the basic GMO crops, would increase. Production would expand and prices for non-GMO ingredients would decline. That makes good sense. Basically, supply and demand theory. And here's something that the article took further. Even in the short term, the effect on retail prices would likely be small. That's because ingredients make up a tiny portion of the expenses incurred by manufacturers to process food and move it to grocery store shelves. Transportation, marketing, and processing. 
All of these things cost more than the actual food in that box of cereal or frozen dinner. So how tiny are the costs of ingredients? Consider a box of cornflakes, which are presumably made largely of GMO corn, though it's impossible to know for sure. In this 2008 report on the effect of ethanol on food prices, a U.S. Department of Agriculture researcher crunched the numbers on how much money companies spend on corn to make your cereal. And here was the finding. An 18-ounce box of cornflakes contains about 12.9 ounces of milled field corn. When field corn is priced at $2.28 per bushel, which is the 20-year average, the actual value of corn represented in that box of cornflakes is, wait for it, 3.3 cents. And what happened after the corn ethanol program pushed corn prices up to $3.49 per bushel, a 49% jump? The total cost of corn in the cereal box rose to 4.9 cents. In other words, paying a 49% premium pushed the corn cost up in a box of cornflakes a total of 1.6 cents. An 18-ounce box of cornflakes contains 18 servings, meaning that much pricier corn translated to an increase of less than 0.1 cents per bowl. For a family of four that consumes four bowls of flakes every day, that's about $1.46 extra for the year. So according to this assessment, even if manufacturers had to pay a hefty premium for non-GMO corn, the retail price of food would barely budge. Another study indicated that the median cost of labeling genetically modified ingredients on grocery products would equate to an additional $2.30 per customer per year. And this is according to a consumer's union study, which was conducted by Eco Northwest, an economics consulting firm in the Pacific Northwest. And if you are unfamiliar, Consumers Union is the policy and advocacy branch of Consumer Reports, a very respected organization. This organization advocates for the labeling of genetically modified organisms in the food supply and has been one of the major donors for GMO labeling initiatives in several U.S. states. While the final conclusion was that the medium cost would be $2.30 per person per year, the six relevant estimates reviewed for the study ranged from $0.32 to $15.01 per year. And the main considerations factoring into the estimates included the cost of repackaging food products to food producers, the cost of changing placards in retail stores to signify that the raw foods were genetically engineered, and how much of that cost the food producers and retailers would decide to bear themselves or pass on to consumers. So this study assumed that food producers would not change over to pricier non-GMO ingredients, but nonetheless reached a similar conclusion, that food prices would not increase dramatically. Also, one can't avoid the fact that over 60 countries that have banned GMOs, including all countries in the European Union, Australia, China, and India somehow managed to produce affordable non-GMO food. As far as I know, people aren't rioting in the streets about high food prices. So whenever you think about GMO labeling, the concern that it would significantly jack up food prices is probably incorrect. So we all need to let that fear tactic fall flat and not influence our decision at the ballot box. So up to this point, we've covered several topics but haven't talked about the different types of genetically modified foods. So let's get into that subject now. According to the Center for Food Safety, 
over 99% of GM crop acres are one of two things. One, being a herbicide-resistant crop that can withstand repeated broad-spectrum dowsing of one or more herbicides to kill weeds without harming the crop. And two, an insect-resistant or BT crop that produce toxins in their tissues that kill target pests or bugs. So this is complicated stuff, and let's talk about each crop now and the concerns with them. Let's start with the herbicide-resistant type. Over five of every six acres of GM crops planted in the world today, or 85% of them, are herbicide-resistant. Nearly all of them are Monsanto's Roundup-ready corn, soybeans, cotton, alfalfa, rapeseed, or sugar beets. And the active ingredient in Roundup, the company's flagship herbicide, which farmers are required to use along with their GM seeds, is called glyphosate. A recent peer-reviewed assessment based on pesticide data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture shows that Roundup-ready crops have resulted in 527 million pounds more herbicides being sprayed in the U.S. than would likely have been the case without these crops, based on figures from 1996 to 2011. Here are the concerns with widespread and liberal use of glyphosate. The glyphosate kills all plant life other than that of the resistant crop, which could be, say, corn, which has led to unintended consequences. One serious one is that a plant called milkweed is killed by glyphosate, and this is the major food supply for monarch butterflies. The monarch butterfly population has experienced a rapid decline over the last several years. According to the Live Monarch Foundation, 2014 has been the worst recorded year for the Monsanto I'm sorry, for the monarch overwinter population in Mexico, declining 97% since 1996. This means there are only 3% left. Based on the World Wildlife Fund, back in 1996, about when GMOs by Monsanto were introduced, there were as many as 45 acres of area occupied by monarch colonies in Mexico. Now, in 2014, there was just over 1.7 acres of area occupied by overwintering monarchs. This is a drastic and concerning decline. Although the widespread use of glyphosate may not be the only contributor, it is no doubt a major one. Now, even if the possibility of a world without monarch butterflies does not send shivers up your spine, you should be concerned because glyphosate affects us humans too. It is a patented antibiotic, and we know that antibiotics kill bad and good bacteria in our guts. The good gut bacteria is referred to as the microbiome, and a thriving microbiome is critical for many things, such as the complete digestion of our food, our immunity, and even our mental health. Its importance can't be overstated, and more is being learned about it every day. We now have evidence from a study done in Norway and the UK that glyphosate accumulates in GM food and not in organic foods. What this means is that virtually all GM food today contains residues of glyphosate. So along with that GM corn or soy or any of their byproducts, you are getting a helping of glyphosate. This also means that GM foods are not substantially equivalent to their natural counterparts, as the natural ones don't contain a side of an antibiotic in them, which will kill your good gut flora. So now let's move on to the pest-resistant type of GMO now, 
which rely on the incorporation of something called BT toxin. According to Jeffrey Smith of the Institute of Responsible Technology, the BT toxin in corn is designed to puncture holes in insect cells so that when pests eat the corn, they basically explode and die. However, studies show that the BT toxin, which still resides in the corn when we eat it because it was built in, does the same in human cells and may be linked to something called leaky gut, which is a very serious condition. Leaky gut is when the intestinal wall becomes permeable and allows large protein molecules to escape into the bloodstream. This is not supposed to happen because one of the most important functions of the gut is to act as a barrier and keep foreign substances, basically anything in the digestive tract, from entering the bloodstream directly. Water and very small molecules may be able to pass through, but nothing large should be able to. Since these large proteins don't belong outside of the gut, the body mounts an immune response and attacks them. Studies show that these attacks play a role in the development of autoimmune diseases like Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, and type 1 diabetes. According to Alessio Fasano, MD, there is growing evidence that increased intestinal permeability plays a role in various autoimmune diseases, including celiac, type 1 diabetes, and various skin conditions. He goes on to say that besides genetic and environmental factors, the loss of intestinal barrier function is necessary to develop autoimmunity. So the point is that if you are eating GM crops like corn, soy, and sugar beets, you are exposing yourself to glyphosate residues on the food and BT toxin in the food in the case of the corn. And these are correlated with a compromised gut microbiome and leaky gut, respectively. And please note, again, that corn and soy-derived ingredients are present in almost all processed foods, as high-fructose corn syrup, corn sugar, corn solids, soy lecithin, soybean oil, MSG, monoendiglycerides, and hydrolyzed soy protein, to name a few. So now that brings us to our final break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra, and we're talking about genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, today. We covered a lot up to this point, and we'll summarize and wrap up this discussion on the other side. Stay tuned. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. A new health and wellness community is coming in January 2015 called HoldTreatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together, we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back to Generation Regeneration. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and we talked about genetically modified organisms or GMOs for the entire show. We covered a lot of ground, some of it pretty technical. So I would like to summarize the major points and leave with some recommendations. First, we defined what a patent is. It is a type of intellectual property and is specifically a novel, non-obvious invention that has been granted patent status by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The owner of the patent is the only one who can legally use and sell aspects of the invention for a period of time typically 20 years in the United States. If another party illegally uses and sells products of the invention, they are said to be infringing on the patent and can be sued for damages. Because the invention is novel and the supply is limited, the owner can charge a premium price for products which use it. We then went over how Monsanto, for example, is using patent law and complicated contracts to intimidate farmers and turn them into serfs on their own land how they will aggressively sue and try to ruin farmers who have GMO plants growing in their fields that they did not plant but blew over from a neighboring farm because that's how nature works, that the options for a farmer are to either knuckle under, settle, and be slapped with a gag order, or fight in court and possibly go bankrupt in the process, or fight and prevail, which seems to be an unlikely outcome because Monsanto will lie, cheat, and bully to win. We describe topics covered in the film David vs. Monsanto, which I highly recommend that you watch to learn more. We then discuss the status of labeling laws, the fact that a federal one does not exist in the U.S. and that states are taking matters into their own hands. We went over the amounts that opponents of labeling have spent thus far and came up with a number of around $100 million in the past three years, which far exceeded what grassroots activists could raise. We covered a popular scare tactic that opponents of labeling use, which is that food prices will increase dramatically. We quoted two studies which looked at both possibilities, that manufacturers change to non-GMO ingredients immediately, or that they stick with GMO ingredients and have to redo a lot of marketing and packaging. Both came to the same conclusion, that food prices would not increase dramatically. We then spent some time talking about the two most common types of GMO crops. One, being an herbicide-resistant crop that can withstand repeated barred-spectrum dousing of one or more herbicides, most likely Monsanto's Roundup, to kill weeds without harming the crop. And two, an insect-resistant BT crop that produces toxins in the food itself that kills target pests or bugs. We also touched upon the health issues associated with each of these, which are quite concerning, namely the destruction of a healthy gut microbiome 
and possibly leaky gut, which can lead to digestive issues and more serious autoimmune diseases. Now, this all sounds pretty appealing and downright frightening to me. So what about the lofty promises of higher yields, fewer chemicals, and greater nutrition from GMOs? Is this all worth it? Unfortunately, it seems that these are not really coming to pass. The reality is that farmers are becoming serfs on their own land for a product that produces lower yields. Our USDA has even indicated that soy crops are yielding 15% lower than they were before GMOs were introduced. GM crops require a greater amount of ever more toxic chemicals because of the development of superweeds, or weeds that become tolerant to the herbicides used on them. Now, it's important to note that this is not a phenomenon that occurs with smaller-scale sustainable farming practices, only with the large monocrops that rely on a lot of chemicals to grow. Also, just adding a certain vitamin to a food does not ensure that it will be assimilated by the body. It's just not that simple. So what I am seeing here is a whole bunch of valid concerns and serious downsides to GMOs and lofty promises left unfulfilled. Perhaps one day the lofty promises will come to pass and long-term safety data will be available. But here's where I stand until then. We need to proceed with extreme caution. I'm a big fan of something called the precautionary principle, which states that if the effects of a product or action are unknown, then the product should not be used or the action should not be taken. I'd like to repeat that. This is the precautionary principle. It states that if the effects of a product or action are unknown, then the product should not be used or the action should not be taken. That sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? In other words, something should be shown to be safe first and not secretly introduced into the food supply, as GMOs have been. There are simply too many unknowns about GMOs, in my opinion, to consider them with abandon. And most concerning is the fact that it is not possible to coexist with GMOs because of the way nature works. There is no safe distance from a GM farm because fallen will spread. There is no protective shield around an organic farm, for example. So if an organic farm is surrounded by GM farms, guess what? Say goodbye to the organic farm. Percy Schmeiser makes that point in David versus Monsanto because he feels that in Canada, by this point, all soy and rapeseed are GM. Wow. Also, the one point I can't get around is that if GMs are so great, how come we're not doing a better job of at least feeding ourselves? From what I understand, food insecurity in the U.S. has increased over the last 20 years, not gone down. So from all of this evidence that I just presented, the conclusion I am forced to reach is that GMOs are really all about controlling farmers and consumers and not maximize, and, and maximizing profits in the process and not just feeding the world. It's also my opinion that legislation will be great, but real change will come from a grassroots effort, from each of us educating ourselves on this topic. For example... There are many resources out there that you can look up to learn more. There are movies like the one I mentioned, David versus Monsanto. There's also one called GMO ONG. There's another called Genetic Roulette. There are also many websites that you can read about and many books. So I would suggest that in addition to listening to what I have said in this radio show, don't take my word for it. 
do some research for yourself. Most importantly, if you decide that you don't support GMOs, change your grocery budget accordingly. Don't go for a lot of the packaged processed foods. Choose instead local, organic, non-GMO verified foods and not the highly processed ones that don't provide any nourishment anyway. The market goes where the money goes and we control where the money goes. If farmers stand up to Monsanto and consumers reject their products, we can't break the back of this multinational corporation that doesn't appear to give a hoot about our environment or health. This sounds like a tall order, so where to begin? Well, like I mentioned, avoid the center of the grocery store and anything in the box that proclaims how wonderful and natural it is. It really isn't wonderful and natural and is likely full of GMOs, artificial colors, artificial flavors, and artificial sweeteners, stuff that will make you sick and fat. Yuck. Go with foods that are as minimally processed as possible and proudly display something called the Non-GMO Project Verified Label. You'll see it on there. Even better, choose organic whole foods. Eat simply. For example, you can have eggs or smoothies for breakfast, salads with some protein for lunch, no soft drinks. You can find high-quality jerky if you want a protein snack or fruity snacks. And most importantly, for dinner, something like grass-fed beef or pasture-raised chicken or wild-caught fish or even other vegetarian sources of protein like quinoa, millet. All of these with lots of veggies for dinner would be great. And the amazing thing about making these changes, you'll lose weight, feel better, spend less time in the doctor's office, and be helping the planet. There's a saying, either pay the farmer or the doctor, you get to pick one. So to wrap up, this is a David versus Goliath battle, no doubt, but it's one we have to win because once this GMG gets out of the bottle, there's no getting it back in and our genetic heritage will be lost. We owe the legacy of a safe food supply to all children everywhere. And on that, we will wrap up because that's all the time we have for today. I hope you will look into this topic further and consider going GMO-free for 2015. I'd like to thank you very much for listening to Generation Regeneration and being part of the Genar movement to regenerate our bodies, minds, and spirits. Join us again next week when our guests will be Nathan Phillips and Yancey Wright, who will discuss sustainable lifestyles and vacations. Be sure to tune in. Until then, let's move the fun over to Twitter at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Please join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. In the coming week, think of the changes that you could make to regenerate your body, mind, and spirit. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.